Welcome to the podcast of Living Water Bible Fellowship. We are a church in Alamosa, Colorado, and here you can find our sermons and other occasional teachings. We hope and pray that this podcast encourages you in your walk with Jesus and increases your understanding of God's Word and the Gospel. Through Jesus, anyone can have new life, can have freedom, and can have ultimate salvation. Stick around to the end of this podcast to learn more about what the gospel is and how to be saved. And now, on to our teaching. Right, there was a, there was a game last night that uh, it's been captivating to Colorado. Of course, it's Colorado State and, and CU. The, uh, the, 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 the game was, uh, in and of itself, a big deal for, for those who like football or care about that kind of stuff. But then there's this, this coach that's just been so captivating to so many people. Uh, for, for a pastor like me to see someone that's able to cast vision, to, to, to move an organization, and to get them so excited about the future, and when I grow up one day, I'm going to be like that. Um, but we, we, this, this organization, the, the Buffalo football team, for years and years, just futile, just doormat, just, just no, no, no hope, no, no tomorrow, just losing, losing, losing. And this guy comes in with swagger. This guy comes in with, with like uh, authority, like, we're going to do this. We're, we're going we're gonna to make it happen. And not just like, like win some games. Like he's, he's talking about like national championship stuff. Now, if you're a CUSU fan, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm even talking about this today. But, but think about just this, how he's motivated people, how he's, he's given them hope. He's given them hope that tomorrow can be great. Tomorrow we can accomplish something wonderful. There's glory and there's hope ahead. And how, how did he, how, how, how with you know, all of his verbal skills and all of his, his communication skills, like how, how did he move people? How did he grab people? How did he hold on to people and get them thinking about the future? You know, two words. We coming. Right? I mean, that, that just like, like it just grabbed people and like, yeah, we coming. We come to the book of Revelation, and uh, you know the, the, the first century people that John was writing to, they were in, a, in the midst of a lot of hard times, a very, very difficult season in their life. Um, persecution, death, suffering, people stealing from them, government against them, um, not a lot of hope. Not a lot of dreaming about tomorrow, that it's going to get better. In fact, it looked worse and worse and worse. It di- didn't look like there was much to live for or hope for. In, a, in our world today, um, boy, you start talking about people and how they're looking at life and how they're thinking about tomorrow. Uh, I think this might be the first generation. I, th- I saw a statistic. First generation in America for many, many decades that first time people are less hopeful about the future than they were before, or, or they're looking at the future and they don't think it's going to get better, it's going to get worse. The pessimism, the cynicism, the, the, uh, the, look, the way of looking at life right now, it's, it's so hard to be hopeful, especially among younger, younger generations. You know, thinking about buying a house or thinking about buying a car, it's like way out there, way in, in, in saying like, we're never going to live the way our parents lived. And then the last several years in America, let alone the world, 
But here in America, our 60, 70 year run of, of hope and prosperity and peace and, you know, like it's going to get better and better. It seems that's coming to an end. You know, who knows what the Lord has planned. You know, our politics are so divided, our nation's so divided, everything's so divided and so just pounding against each other and hating each other. And, and you know, it's like, wow. It, it's, it, it feels dark, doesn't it? Feels like, what's tomorrow going to bring? More, more chaos. Well, we look around the world, we look at places like, like Afghanistan, or you look at places, the Philippines, you look at places like China, you look at places, South Africa, you know, you, you look at around the nation, man, think about the Christians in these places. They, I, bet they, I bet they believe they're in the Great Tribulation right now. I believe the, the martyrs, the suffering, the attacks, the lies. I mean, nation after nation, we're still kind of in a safe bubble here to a degree. But different places around the world, where's the hope? Where, where's where's the, the, the sense of like, it's going to get better, it's going to get brighter. A new day is ahead. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of believers around the world aren't feeling that or believing that or thinking that way. Unfortunately. And so we come to the Apocalypse of John. We come to the Revelator and his revelation. And what would be his word to those people back then? What would be his word to us? What would the Spirit of God be saying to us today to give us hope? Well, if I can paraphrase Coach Prime, he coming. <laughs> he is coming. The Lord God Almighty, who, who is and who was and who will be, He's coming. And there's a call to faithfulness. There's a call to hope again. There's a call to trust. There's a call to walking with God anew, afresh. To not give up, not give in, not stop. He is coming. Be faithful. He is coming. Be true to your Lord. Overcome. He's coming. Be ready. Please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. I don't know how many months this is going to take to get through the book of Revelation. We, we might be here a long time, you guys. But we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. Father, we do ask your blessing upon this reading of your word. We ask your blessing upon this church. We ask the blessing upon the Christians in the hearing of this. And we ask your blessing upon your universal church, your worldwide church, the people of God. We pray that they would live in hope. We pray that they would live in faithfulness. We pray that they would live, that we would live as your people, to your praise, to your honor, to your glory. Use this study, use this, your, your word, Lord, to bring about the people that you want us to be, to make us into the people that you want us to be, and to live in hope, or to repent, or to change our life, or to turn around if we are not living with you. Make us, Lord, through this text, through your word, people that you want us to be, a people that's glorifying you and honoring you and loving you. Bless us now, in Jesus' name, amen. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things 
that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was. And who is to come? The Almighty. And God bless the reading of His Holy Word. There are, uh, there are many aspects to this, this book, but how, how do we even approach it? How do we come to it? How do we understand it? Uh, I'm going to run through it really quick, but you could do whole studies uh, for weeks and weeks on this book in, in its depth, and it's... Uh, it's... it's, it's, it's uh, so well written and so well crafted, so, so uh, communicative of who God is and what He's like. Um, but first of all, we, we have to understand it comes to us as a letter. So we, we bring systems of understanding this book. We bring our connotations and maybe how we grew up about revelation, or some, some called it the revelations, right? Uh, the apocalypse, the unveiling, the revealing of things hidden. It, it's a letter, first of all. It's written in a first century letter style, um, just as we do different writing styles today. You know, we send emails today, this crazy thing called email. Hopefully it dies soon. Um, but but it, it was a letter written in first century style. You go to Galatians, you go to First Peter, epistles given to churches. This is an epistle. And, and it's an it's a epistle on steroids. It's an epistle that's incredible in its, in its uh, teaching. But first of all, it's a letter. And so you can see that in very, various places, like verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. That's the province of Asia, the Roman province of Asia. It's modern-day Turkey now is where he's writing to. So from to a letter. And so in the coming months, we're going to go through the seven letters to the seven churches, and we'll look down that epistolary style. Uh, it's, it's more than a letter, of course. He calls it a prophecy a couple times in the prologue in the first three verses. A prophecy in the Old Testament style. Remember the Old Testament, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, the, the, the preachers of old. A word from God came to the man of God and he proclaimed what God wanted him to say. This, this is revelation, prophecy. It's a, a proclamation, a, God's, a man speaking forth God's truth, a man speaking forth God's word to change people, to bring people in alignment to God. Um, it's a prophecy to us. It's a, it's, it's a revelation to us. It's an instruction to us. 
Here's what God says. Here's how God looks at things. Let us adapt. Let us, let us get in alignment. Let us come under the reign of the king. Again, it's, it's a prophetic. It's a prophetic letter. It's a letter of prophecy. But there's also a word here, uh, apocalyptic. Um, You've got to understand, again, we bring our, our understanding of Revelation based upon maybe some movements you've been a part of. And, and we're, a, we're an eclectic church here. We've got, uh, we got people from all different strands of Christianity, uh, all different backgrounds, all different kind of histories, denominations. It, it's amazing in this, in this small church how many different dozens and dozens of different denomination, denominational backgrounds are represented. It's, it's intimidating to me. It's incredible to me to think about because I know you're all coming from a certain angle and a certain perspective. Uh, we have to, if we're going to understand this prophetic letter, if we're going to understand the Word of God, we've got to understand that it comes to us as an, as an apocalypse, an apocalyptic letter. What does that mean? Well, um, in the 2nd century B.C. to up to the 1st century A.D., maybe about a 300-year time frame, uh, the Jewish people, uh, they had this popular writing style called apocalyptic. And the way it went was um, the Jewish people used to suffering, used to being slaughtered, used to being kicked around, used to being um, treated as people's doormats, used to, used, used to being um, in trouble with the government or with, with uh, the nations. And so this writing style came about as a way of... of of saying that there's hope. A way of saying, if you could see behind the scenes, if you could see what God sees, if you had a different perspective, you would see that it's not all doom and gloom. And so the way it played out, um, Revelation is in the family of this writing style, just like there's a first century epistle style, or back in the Old Testament there were psalms that were written, um, different ways that God brings to, He uses different mediums of Revelation mediums of communication to bring about his word. Uh, so the typical idea of an apocalyptic letter or apocalyptic style is there's a spokesman from heaven who brings visions, pictures, scenes from behind the scenes and he brings it to God's human spokesman. And then this, this human spokesman brings God's word to the people. Uh, a lot of symbols, a lot of numbers, a lot of otherworldly sights. And this is what we see in Revelation, especially once you get past chapter 3, chapters 4 through 22, the revelation, the hidden, becomes, becomes seen. You'll notice in the first uh, three sections here, um, first three verses, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him to show his servants. Uh, not just hear, not just say, not just tell, but to show. The things must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even all that he saw. And so sometimes people call the book Revelations because there's all these visions that the, the Apostle John saw, or we think it's Apostle John, that he saw. Uh, and what that means is, is that we have to understand that the symbols, the numbers, these are, they're on purpose. These are uh, very well crafted. And, and, and even saying that, that, that puts red flags in people's minds. 
It doesn't mean it's not communicating real, true stuff. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it's not communicating what God wants to communicate, that these th there, there's not uh, reality behind the symbols. But, but you've got to understand the numbers 4 and 7 and 14 and 28 and 1,000 and 144,000. These are symbols of perfection, of wholeness, of rightness, of, of everything coming together. They're meant to speak about God and His perfection. And, and uh, all the symbols. We're going to get into many of the symbols. We'll discuss it over, over our, our journey. But it's pointing towards truth. But, but the author of this book is an incredible writer. If you've ever, if you've ever tried to, to write, or if you've ever tried to write anything like poet, poetically, you know how difficult it is. And when you get it, it's like, oh. Um, and, and just so, some of the things here. Uh, there's some ideas uh, in the book um, that are mentioned four times or seven times. Uh, some terms that are mentioned four times or seven times that are there to say in God's plan, it's perfect. There's titles of God, different titles of God that are mentioned not 13 times or 15 times, but are mentioned 14 times or 28 times through the book. Again and again and again, and those who care about numerology, those who care about perfection and numbers, they would look at the book and say, yeah, I know what John's trying to say. He's trying to say God's plan is perfect. He's bringing it out um, through his skill as an author, as a writer, the inspired word of God. Um, there's, there's the depth of it. It's an Old Testament study is what it is brought to life. The Old Testament promises coming to us through um, God's revelation, um, some have counted up to 400 allusions to the Old Testament, meaning allusions like they're not necessarily quoted, they're not necessarily brought out in full force. But if you start looking at the, the terms, the way he uses his words, the things he puts together, that's an Old Testament reference. That's an Old Testament reference. That's an Old Testament reference. This man, this John, and, and the revelation that came through him, the things he received from Jesus Christ... He knew the, the Old Testament backwards and forwards, and he brings it out, and he's saying again and again, that's being fulfilled, that's being fulfilled, that's being fulfilled, this is a film of that, that's a sign of that, that's coming true there, that's coming true. He's like, yeah, God, you're awesome. His, his writing meant to elicit worship, that God is faithful to his, 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 his promises. God always keeps his word. And I, I could continue to elaborate here, but it is an incredible, incredible writing it comes from an incredible, incredible God. But notice where this comes from, and notice what kind of book this is, even in verse 1 again. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's His revelation. It's from Him. It's about Him. It's of Him. Uh, there's so many cool things about revelation. One of the things, if you study this book, you're going to learn a lot about Jesus Christ. You're going to learn a lot about His heart for the world and what He plans. And notice how it flows. God gave this revelation, this, uh, this, this message, this unveiling to Jesus to show his servants the things must, that must soon take place. He made it known, so Jesus made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So did you, did you catch that? It came from the Father to Jesus to the angel to John. This, this, this revelation that's coming from God to us. Notice several things here. Um, must. These things must take place. They must take place. 
And one of the themes you're going to see again and again through this book is that God is what? Sovereign. Okay? Like Coach Prime, he's saying, we're going to win. He doesn't know. Maybe he's a very energetic, hopeful guy, as all football coaches usually are. We got this. We've lost 37 games in a row, but we got this one. Ooh. Um, you know, it's, it's great to have enthusiasm. It's great to have hope. But there's a lot of uh, uh, false hopes out there. Well, we know from Revelation where it says these things must soon take place. These are the, 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 the decrees of God. These are the teachings of God. These are the word from God. It's going to happen because sovereign God says so. Must soon take place. And notice the word soon. Uh, there's a couple words there in the prologue. Soon and the time is near. The kairos moment. The, the pregnant moment. The, the anticipating crisis is, is here. It's near. Uh, as we get into it a little bit more, we'll talk about that. Um, is it something that, uh, one of the interpretive questions we have to ask is the, the, of this book is, was it something that uh, John meant for that, re that, that generation only? Was it something that the, that first generation expected to happen in, in their day? And they probably did, but was it meant for their day? Or is it more of a prophetic soon? Like a day, of the, a day is like a thousand years. Uh, a thousand years is like a day in the Lord's sight. Is that what, is that we, that, that's the way I take it. The next, you know, there's a lot of things from, from first century on that, that still have to happen, but on the big eschatological timeline, the expectation is that the eschaton is near. It's almost here. And the, the hope is, the call is, the preaching is, get ready. Are you ready? Or are you lost in hopelessness? Are you lost in despair? Have you, uh, your government being against you, if, if that's how you see things, or, or your, your culture moving away, like in America right now, we're seeing great apostasy. We're seeing millions of people depart from the church. Millions of people emptying out pews. Millions of people becoming nuns, thinking that I, I don't, I, there might be a God out there, I'm going to become an agnostic, and I just don't know, I'm going to live my life. Uh, if, that, if that's you, that this thing, these things must take place. Have hope in what's coming. Believe what's coming. Or because of what's coming, repent. So we see here the must and the soon. The time is near. Get ready. He coming. Uh, as, we, as we look at this, I, I don't want to miss uh, some of these, the, the deep teaching here, even in, in this first section, the greeting section. Typically in letters, there was, there was several ways that the authors would write. Uh, again, you look at some of the epistles. Um, notice that in verse 4, John, the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is. And who, it, it goes, grace and peace. And many of the, the New Testament epistles we have, it's, it's more like, may grace, may, may you know the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost, it's not maybe just, sometimes it sounds like a statement, grace and peace to you, brethren. Other times it's like, may you know the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's the term here, to people that maybe are forgetting how they've been graced. Maybe you're here today and you've forgotten how you've been graced by God. God's goodness towards the undeserving. God's graciousness and how we as sinners deserved judgment and wrath. And, yes, and, let, and yet He gave us grace. 
Uh, we were God's enemies, and, and He gave us forgiveness, grace. So many ways to talk about grace, but you realize that in God, Christians, you've already received grace. And if you have grace, if you've been graced, if you've been saved, if you've been rec- received into God's kingdom, if you've been reconciled to God, if you've been redeemed, if you've been saved, man, you've been graced, that means you have peace. The shalom of, of peace is yours. The promise is yours. Grace comes first and then peace. And, and John is saying, grace to you. May you know grace. May you re- remember the grace of God. May you realize the grace of God. And through that, may you realize you have peace now with God. Not just peace with God, but no matter what comes, no matter what happens, no matter what, what comes against you, no matter what threats you're facing today, you have peace with God. The peace of God is yours. Are you living in it? Are you trusting in God? Are you resting in Him? Notice uh, the Trinity here. He starts off with a title for Yahweh, for the Lord, the Father in Heaven. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. Uh, Reference to an allusion to Exodus 3.14. Remember when he showed up at the burning bush and speaking to Moses, and I am, what's your name? I am, I am who, who is, I am who will be, I, 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 I am who is to come. The, the word order here is turned, turned in a certain way. It's a title for God, but um, think, about, think about the settings. Think about the, the, the time frame and, and the place. Um, Persecutions increasing against the, the church. Suffering is increasing among the Christians. Uh, troubles, it looks really dark in the future. We'll, we'll get into more of the setting and the background in weeks ahead. But uh, how it starts off, who is? Who was and who is to come. So there's the past, who was, and there's the future, who is to come. But right now, Yahweh is. Meaning, John's preaching. He's saying, God is sovereign right now. He's the head of everything right now. He's not just in the future. He's not just in the past. He is right now. And you're safe in your Savior's hands. He moves on and from grace and peace to you from the seven spirits who are before His throne. And this has been an interpret interpretive uh, dilemma for many centuries is it several like angels before the throne which is weird because the next section is, would be it's, he's going to talk about Jesus so Father, Spirits, Jesus like sandwich so most people think it's the Holy Spirit and if you're taking notes and it's allusion to Zacharias chapter 4 Zechariah chapter 4 not by might, not by strength says the Lord but by my spirit by the Holy Spirit it's, that's what he's alluding to you can go back and read uh, Zechariah 4 if you'd like to. Grace and peace in, in the seven spirits. How, the, or some of your translations have footnotes that say the sevenfold spirit. Again, the seven is a, is a beautiful picture and John looks for every opportunity to insert it. The perfect Holy Spirit. The one who has the perfect wisdom, the perfect power, the perfect strength that you need for today. And from grace and peace... From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Some have tried to make this a past, present, and future things, uh, a, a statement. He was the faithful witness. Like, 
what is Revelation calling you to be? Calling you to be a faithful witness. John says in the midst of trial, you have been graced, you who have peace with God, now be faithful. Be true to your God. No matter what comes, be a faithful witness. And then, uh, as Jesus is our example, He was the faithful witness. He was raised from the dead. He's the firstborn from the, from the dead. Uh, you can look at Colossians chapter 1, where that's talked about a little bit. Not the firstborn of, you know, like another created being, the firstborn, but the allusion to the Old Testament in the sense of the firstborn gets the inheritance. The firstborn has the authority. And this is the firstborn of the new creation, of the new world that's coming. He has all authority, he has all might, he has all strength based upon his resurrection. He's been given the name, uh, Philippians 2, chapter 2, above every name. At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord of all. It's, 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 a, it's an incredible statement if you unpack it. There's so much that's compressed here. And again, I, I, I'm just in awe of the author, how wise he is and how the depth that he has by the Spirit of God. And then maybe if you want to take a future tense, the ruler of the kings of the earth, he is coming and he will rule all Nations. He is coming. He will rule the whole world. He is coming. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's on His way. But who, 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 have, been, who have you been graced by? You've been graced by the Creator of all. You've been graced by the Lord of all. You've been graced by the Spirit of God. The Creator Spirit of God. You've been graced and you've been loved and you've been cared for and you have peace with this God. You're in His family. You're on His team. You're, you're in His, your name is written on His hands. You're safe, even when you're unsafe. In the world's sight. There's, there's a, a, you know, once you start thinking about what God has done, you can't help but worship, and I think that's why He turns to a doxology next. To Him... <laughs> Who loves us? He, he's talking about Jesus here. He's, he's continuing on the thought. He's given us the threefold kind of title of Jesus or, or what Jesus has accomplished. He's the faithful one. He's the martyr. Witness means martyr. He's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's, he's the ruler of the king, kings of the earth. And once you start running down the road of Jesus and not, how incredible He is and how much you love Him and how much you're grateful for Him, you can't help but, but glorify Him. And so John, in an inspired way, in an inscripted way, to Him who loves us. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? The world might curse your name for being a Christian. The world might spit on you. The world might uh, drag your name through the mud. The world might take your house, take your land, take your, your, your business. The world can do all kinds of things. But God loves you. And not, not a mushy-mushy kind of a love, but a, a real eternal love. Committed love. A sacrificial love. A giving love. To him who loves us, do you realize that you're loved by the maker of heaven and earth, O oh Christian? If he is for you, as it says in Romans, who could be against you? If he is for you both before and after and now, you're loved. You're safe. You have peace with God. To him who loves us, has freed us from our sins by His blood. The King James, the New King James, I think they say, are washed 
our, our sins are washed, and, and that's a, a, there, there's a whole backstory of there, the interpretate, the, how the Bible came to us. But many modern translations, they will say it this way. Um, uh, he has freed us from our sins by His blood. In other words, there's been a price that was paid. How, how do we know that God loves us? How do we know that Jesus loves us? Because He gave His life. He paid the price. As we celebrated at communion, as we remembered at communion, He died in our place. His perfect sacrifice, His perfect offering in our place. And the result was we've been freed from condemnation. We've been freed from the guilt of our sins. We've been freed from the wrath of God. Praise God. He's freed us from our sins by His blood. His death so we wouldn't die. His life for our life so we could have life, so we could live. No greater love is this than a man lays down his life for his friends. God has laid down His life, the incarnation, the coming, the, the living. He died for you. Do you need any more testimony about His love for you? Do you need any more word about His love for you and His commitment to you? He died for you, even when you were His enemy, even when you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. And John's like, to Him who loves us, the, to Him who has freed us from our sins by His blood. He's made us a kingdom, priests to God His Father, to God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Uh, oh, that, that's, that's, he's giving you identity. He's giving you meaning. Uh, when he talks about the king, He's made you a kingdom, there's several connotations of that or several different, if you want to unpeel the onion. Like uh, we, we now, in Jesus Christ, we belong to the realm of God. We belong to God's family. We're, we're in his, his, under His dominion. We are His servants. We are His people now. But there's, as, as, as Revelation goes on in some of the other epistles in the New Testament, uh, it talks about us ruling with Him. In other words, we've been made royalty. And we, we, we have a role in His kingdom economy. We have a role in His kingdom agenda as His people. Uh, we have a place, like uh, the, the, the word servants in verse, verse 1, and I, I think verse, yeah, in verse, yeah, verse 1 it says a couple times, that, that word there means slave. I am a doulos of God. I, we're, we're douloi, we're, we're, we're slaves of God, but that, that's meant in a, co a positive connotation. Now we've been brought into association as bond servants, as those who willingly give up our life to be part of His work. And he says, now you're my kingdom. Now you're going to rule with me. Now you're going to reign with me. And, and how does that play out? What does that look like? We'll understand as we get into the book a little bit more. But identity. We're under his reign. We're, we're his people. We're his team. He's coming. Uh, priests. Priests have access to God. Priests have access to God to enter the holy place, to go where God is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we, through Jesus Christ, are able to be with God and be with God and draw near to God. Uh, another way of understanding this is we're priests. We're capable. Now we're entitled. Now we're called to serve Him. Serve Him as missionaries. Serve Him as, as moms changing diapers. Serve Him going to work. Serve Him farming in the field. Serve Him nursing and doctoring. And... and 
grading papers or staying up late at homecoming dances, serving Him in all capacities, in all ways, with using our gifts and talents. We're priests of God. Again, uh, allusion back to Exodus 19, the calling of Israel to be His kingdom and priests. Now as the people of God, we get that, that mantle, we get that, that authority, we get that calling to be God's people serving Him. Do you realize as you, maybe you're here today looking for identity, you're looking for your meaning in life, God has already given it to you. You're associated with Him now, you're under His name, you're, you're His people now, and you're called to live for Him in this world to glorify Him. There's no greater calling, no greater purpose, no greater, no, no greater way to live and serving Jesus Christ. He says to Him who's loved us, who's freed us, who's made us a kingdom, made us priest, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. There's many doxologies through the book. Um, back in verse 3, there's a uh, beatitude. Throughout the book, there's many different things that come out again and again, but I want to highlight this to you. Um, the calling of the book, so to speak, before we get into the, the prophetic announcement in verse 7. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. That's, that's probably the only reason why we're doing the sermon series of Revelation, so I can read it to you and I get blessed. Just, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, the, the first century people, many of them were illiterate, and so the first, second, third centuries, every church would have official readers that would faithfully study how to read the... the whenever, you, whenever you come to the pulpit, whenever you come to the stage, we want to read the Word of God very well. So if you're ever called to read in the church, study it, read it many times so that you can say it clearly and boldly. Uh, to many illiterate people who can't read the voice of someone speaking, of preaching, of, of opening the Word, it's, it's so important. God says, blessed are you. A beatitude, like beatitudes like Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who are merciful. Blessed are you who are peacemakers. There's a promise of comfort. There's a promise of reward. Look what it says. Blessed are those who hear. That's you. And it goes beyond just hearing. It's not an information dump. It's not just passing on truth to you that you're, okay, check, and then you, you go away as a man looking in a mirror forgetting what you've, what you've heard. No, it's keep what is written in it. Blessed are you who keep what is written in it. And so it's not just like, not just this scene like, whoa, cool, like you go to a movie and see the multidimensional, you know, all, all the pyrotechnics. It's like, no, this is, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, from Jesus Christ, from the Father to you to change your life, to live as men and women of God, to live as those who belong to Jesus. He's coming, so stay faithful. He's the Lord, so stay His. You come under attack, you come under lies, you come under deceit. Remain true to Him. Overcome, conquer in Jesus' name. Don't fall away. Don't fall apart. Don't give up your faith, even when things get hard. But then in verse 7, this is, I think, a summary statement of the apocalypse of John, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, that what it says in verse 1, what, what's coming, what's being spoken of, 
Behold. He's going to say that many times in this book. Look. Behold. Check it out. See what's being revealed. He is coming with the clouds. Uh, many Old Testament allusions there. Many Old Testament pictures. You write down Dan Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. You can write down Isaiah chapter 19, verse 1. You can go back to many Psalms. Uh, remember even in the first, in the, in, 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 when Jesus rose from the dead, uh, then He ascended into heaven, He ascended into the clouds. And the angel said He's going to come back in the same way, just as you've seen Him leave. He's going to come back in that way. You're going to see Him coming on the clouds. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him. There's a universality to this statement. Even those who pierced Him, uh, don't know exactly how that works. You know, the, the Romans and the Jews that uh, pierced the Lord, they, they destroyed the Lord um, in that first century. It probably includes all of us, all of us who have rebelled against God, all of us who have hated God, all of us who have rejected God, all of, all of us who have um, thumbed our nose at God, all of us who have um, said, I'm going to go my own way. We, as, as, as it were, pierced Him. We put Him on that cross. We caused him to suffer and we caused him to die. He, we, we, we put him in that position to come save us by our evil ways. Even those who pierced him, all the tribes of the earth, all the peoples of the earth. He's coming. Uh, they will wail on account of him. Uh, the ESV takes a very uh, pejorative kind of a, a tone here. Uh, if you go back, this is an allusion to uh, Zechariah chapter 10. If you go back and read in chapters 10, 11, and 12 of Zechariah, it's, it's almost like there's a positive tone to it. So we're not sure. It, all the nations will, will mourn in sense of, oh, he's coming. Let's hide. He's coming to destroy us. Or is it more of a mourning in a sense of, I'm mourning over my sin and I'm ready to repent. We'll bring that out a little bit more in the future as well. But here, the way this is put, the way this is stated, He's coming to judge. But in the coming of judgment, there's still room for repentance. There's still room for turning around. There's still room for trusting in Him again. Don't give up. Even if you've been broken, even if you've fallen away, even if you've walked down a path of evil, even if you've denied your Lord seven times, there's still, because you know what's happening, you know what's coming, you can still turn to the Lord, confess your sins, and He will forgive you. Turn to the Lord today, if that's you, and come under His reign again. Enjoy His peace again. Even so, amen. It's like there's a double, there's a double exclamation point there from the, the John. Like he's, he's saying, this is what the Lord said. Some of your translations set it out in, in terms of bold. Like, I heard God say this. Remember what John is saying at the beginning? He's saying, I, I, I bring to you the testimony of Jesus Christ, the witness of Jesus Christ. I bring you the word of God in verse 7. Is like, here's the word. And John's like saying, at, at the end, he's saying, even so, mm, yeah, Amen. So he, he's, he's underlying it. He's shouting it out. He's coming. Are you ready? He's coming. Stay ready. He's coming. Be faithful. Don't stay where you are in your unfaithfulness. 
or your worldliness or your evil ways, repent. There's still time to come to the King, to come to your Lord and be saved. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Notice the titles here. And this is kind of out of the blue too. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, he caps this, and I'm going to cap it, uh, the sermon here. Uh, he caps it with some titles of God, and this is repeated at the end of the book. So uh, we think this is the Father speaking, but at the end of the book, uh, Jesus is speaking, and, and it's, it's rather mysterious. But notice the titles. The first one is I Am. Again, an allusion to the Old Testament. In, in, in John's Gospel, the I Am statements again, I Am, I Am, I Am. The second title, I Am the Alpha and the Omega. The Greek alphabet, the Alpha and the Omega, right? The beginning and the end. And the purpose of saying that is I'm the Alpha and Omega. I'm the Lord of the beginning and the end. But I'm, <clears throat> I'm the Lord of everything in between. I'm the Lord of everything in between all of your days. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I'm there, but I'm here now. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm in charge of everything. This is the third title says the Lord God. That's a term that's used many times in the prophets of the Old Testament. It's said again and again, the Lord God. And it's tied to the I Am. He's the one who is in charge of things. It's, it's like underlining again and again. And then, then the repeated title, who is and who was and who is to come. Your God is in control. Uh, behind the scenes, maybe your perspective is like suffering right now. Maybe your perspective is hurting right now. Maybe your perspective is where is God right now. But if you're able to look behind the scenes... I am. I am here with you now. You're safe. Would you trust me? Would you stay faithful? And then the final title, the fourth title in verse 8, the Almighty, uh, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of all, the God of the angel armies is how, is how some of the Old Testament promise, uh, prophets talk about this. He's in charge of all heavenly uh, all the cosmic forces. He's in charge of all earthly forces. He's the Almighty. And if He's got you, you're safe. If He's got you, again, who can stand against you? If the Lord of hosts is the one who commands the legions of angels, if He's got you in His sight, if He loves you, if He's called you by name, if He's forgiven you of your sins, if He's reconciled you to Himself, if He's brought you into your family, you are safe. Don't, don't believe you're not. Stay faithful because He's coming. Please stand in the Lord's presence as we go. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for meeting with us today. You've gathered Your people and we've gathered with You in some mysterious cosmic level. We are meeting with You in real ways. Thank you for making us yours. And thank you for drawing us near. Thank you for loving us. All praise be to you. Give us, uh, give us the grace, Lord, to not look with earthly eyes at things. Give us the grace, Lord, to see things from your perspective, your revealed truth, your revelation of what is. And may we walk with you in faithfulness and truth no matter what comes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, 
and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.